Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church. This message is from our Renovate series, where we take a look at relationships through a biblical perspective and was recorded at our Menifee campus. Right over there. Um, So we're going to be right there in John 16. I just want to say to you guys before I start, um, how much we appreciate you, how much I appreciate you, how much I appreciate this. Isn't this great that we can come here together and worship God and just remember the gospel, remember the power of the Spirit, and do this every week? I mean, um, we're in difficult times, I think. We all feel that. We're in difficult times. And to be able to come here, and it's not like, it's not like we're asking God to, like, take those thoughts away from us or to somehow, you know, have us escape from reality. But what we want to see is we want to see God's biblical gospel reality, and that's enough. We don't need him to help us escape. We need him to help us to see the goodness of Jesus. And then we can, we can see everything in perspective. So let's pray for that this morning. Father, we have one request from you. One word. Speak. Father, we pray that you would speak this morning. That you would speak through your word. Lord, even as we look at a passage on the Holy Spirit and how he glorifies your son, Lord, we pray that you would this morning glorify your son here. Lord, I've said it the same way many times. I don't know a better way to say it. Lord, but we want to leave this place knowing that we've met with the living God. We don't need to hear the thoughts and opinions of a man. We don't need to hear the ideas of of human philosophy. Lord, we need to hear a word from you. This word, this word we hold in our hands, Lord, drive it into our hearts. We also pray, Lord, that you would speak in very personal ways to people that are here so that they would know that you're with them that you've seen them, that you understand what they're going through, and that they would leave knowing that you spoke a word to to them. We just pray, Lord, for this, because we feel so loved when you speak to us. And Father, we know that you're a good father, and you were here beforehand. And as Jamal invited us in here, Lord, that was your invitation. We know that you desire to, to speak and feed your children, and so we're excited, Lord. We know this is a prayer request you'll answer. And so we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. So here we are in John 16. I want to remind you guys of where we are in John. So uh, last few weeks and for a couple weeks more, where we're at is um, Jesus has had the the Last Supper with his disciples. This is the night before he dies. And they're on their way to the garden where Judas will betray him. This is their final night together before he's crucified. And this is a dark time for the disciples, guys. And, um, and, And they're going to be left, and they realize this now, they're going to be left in a culture that is completely opposed to their way of life. They're going to be left in a culture that is completely opposed to the message of Jesus. And and they're scared. They're disturbed. You know, that Jesus would leave them in such a place. So you look at verse 1, and Jesus says, I've said these things to you to keep you from falling away. I I didn't mean to talk about this, but it's significant. Jesus' words keep us from falling away. Isn't that amazing? They keep us from falling away. He says, I've said these things to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, an hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I've said these things to you so that when the hour comes, you will remember that I told you. I do not say these things to you from from the beginning, but because, because I was with you. Now, they're going to be left in a culture that is completely opposed to their way of life and Jesus' message, not unlike our culture, not unlike our culture. Now, we don't have the threat of death at this point or anything like that, but it, we certainly live in a non-Christian culture. 
okay? We live in a culture that no longer pays lip service to the Bible, no longer pays lip service to the church. We live in a culture, guys, where there's no clear standard of truth. There's no clear thing that everybody can look at and go, okay, that's true because it lines up with X. Everybody's got their own truth. There is no clear standard of morality. There's intense racial division. There's a culture here of many different philosophies and religions. And it's funny, too, it's sad, where it's like, you know, they're all basically equally true or they're all equally false. They're all equal. Pick one. Pick one that works for you. But don't pick Christianity, right? That's the one bad decision you can make. But you can pick any of these things. And this is much like the culture there, a very pluralistic culture. Everybody had their own ideas and their own gods and their own understanding. And our country, guys, is increasingly becoming the kind of culture that it was in the first century. You know, um, it, Like these first disciples, guys, we don't want to just endure it. We just don't, we don't want to just survive it, right? We don't want to hunker down in our homes and just wait for Jesus to come back. We want everybody, guys, to find their joy in Jesus like we have. We want not just to survive, we want to be on mission. And that's why we planted this church, guys. We exist to help everyone take their next step towards Jesus. That's why we're here. And guys, I want to just encourage you with the darkness and the things that are going on and the negativity. This is a great time to be the church together. You guys realize that? It wasn't 10 years ago a better time to be the church together. It is a great time now to be the church together. As things get darker, the light shines brighter. This is a time for us to band together and truly be on mission together. Um, we live, guys, in a non-Christian country, okay? And that's fine. We're missionaries. God's brought the mission field here. Let's not like, hang our heads in sadness. The mission field is here. Let's be that church like they were in the first century. This is a great time to be the church together. And guys, that's God's heart toward the world. It's interesting in this passage when he talks about the world, Jesus talks about the world, he's not talking about a globe. A lot of times if I said the world, you immediately have this very 21st century vision of a globe and all the countries and stuff like that. That's not what Jesus was talking about. He wasn't talking about the world as a globe. When he talked about the world, he was talking about the culture of human beings that's opposed to him. And we can see that throughout John. If you look in verse 6, he says, they have not believed in me. And as you go through John, you can see, how does Jesus use this term, the world? In, in John 1.10, he says, the world did not know him. Even though he was the creator, when he came, the world didn't know him. So the world is a community of people that do not know God. They don't know Jesus. Um, in John 3.19, it says that the world loves darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. So another definition of the world. The world is a group of people that prefer darkness and confusion and a haze about what's right and wrong because their deeds are evil. In John 7, 7, Jesus says that the world hates him. He says, this, they hate me because I'm always calling out their sin. <laughs> you know, that's what, when Jesus means the world, he means a community of people that, are, that hate him because he calls out their sin. In John uh, 12, 31, we see that the, the world is headed towards judgment. So it's a, it's a community of people headed towards judgment. In John 15, 18, it says that the world hates God's people. The world hates God's kids. And yet, famous passage, John 3, 16, what, is, what does he say? Jesus says, for God so loved the world. A lot of times we think that means the globe and all the countries and all the people, all the lands. It doesn't mean that. When he talks about the world, he's not talking about its bigness. He's talking about its badness. God is a kind of God who loves the world opposed to him that he gave his own son, that whoever will believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. 
Is that how you would respond? Is that how you respond to people that don't get you? You know, they don't want to get you. They're out to get you. They want to attack your kids. Is that your response? This is God's response. God's response to them is, I'm going to send my son. He's going to die for him, and I'm going to welcome him home. This is amazing love, guys. And this is the message that we have as Christians. You know, we go out into the world with this message that God in Christ has come to save any who will surrender their lives to him and trust in him. But there's a big problem. You guys have probably encountered it. <laughs> Some of you guys, when you became Christians, you went, this is the best news ever. I never knew this. And then you went to the first person you saw, told it to him, and what happened? Resistance, okay? There is a big problem with this. And the problem is, is that no one is naturally inclined to believe or respond to this message. John 6, Jesus says, no one will come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. The world's lost, guys. And I think we're in a really good position to see that right now. The world is lost. It's in darkness. It's in confusion. Um, they don't see their need for Jesus. And they can't imagine, guys, why you find Jesus so desirable. They, have no, they can't sense it. They can't taste it. They don't have taste buds for him, right? Do you guys have friends and family and coworkers and clients that you desperately want them to know Jesus? You have people like that? I think we all have people like that, right? Do some of them seem impossible to you? Are there some of them that you think, this person is an impossible Christian? Like, <laughs> this is never headed this way. And maybe it's because, you know, they love their sin. Or maybe it's because they're so self-righteous and they feel like, I don't need anything, I'm good. Or maybe it's that there's just no urgency. There's like an apathy. I find that more difficult than people that are hostile. I actually prefer hostility because I'm getting a reaction, you know, like, like we can work with that, you know, let's talk about that. Let's figure that out. But to, but to get a response of apathy is really disturbing. I mean, I became a Christian uh, when I was 13. My parents didn't get saved till much later. And what I constantly got from them was apathy. And it was so discouraging. Um, who in your life do you think could never become a Christian? And, and just think about when you bring the gospel to them, how powerless do you feel? Just feel powerless, right? You feel like you're just trying to like, you know, there's like the rock of Gibraltar and you're, you're hitting it with your squirt gun. I'm going to melt this thing eventually. You know, it's not going to happen, right? And right into that helplessness, look at verse 6. Right into that powerlessness that we have to bring the gospel message to people, Jesus says these beautiful words. He says, but because I've said these things, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Jesus says, I'm sending you help. We're like, this is great news. This is good news. He's going to send help. He's going to send the Holy Spirit. And I want to just pause for one second before I talk about the Holy Spirit and just think about how amazing this is. So Jesus comes. He lives a perfect life in our place. He dies in our place to forgive us of our sins. Three days later, he's raised from the dead physically. He's totally physically alive. Spends 40 days showing people that he's, he's physically well. Then he ascends into heaven. And then when he gets there, he says to the Holy Spirit, go. Isn't this amazing? This is amazing how the Trinity works. I mean, the Father loves us so much, he'd send his son. Jesus does his work of redemption on the cross for us. He goes up there and then, and then the Holy Spirit gets sent down. You think like, why do they care so much? This is amazing. You know, this is amazing. And there was that kind of 10-day delay. I don't know what that was about, but, you know, there's 40 days, Jesus ascends, there's this 10-day delay, and then the Spirit comes, right? Why does he care so much? And then the Holy Spirit comes down on Pentecost, right, enters his people and has been doing it ever since, transforms them from the inside out, 
And then as we're walking around and we're sharing the gospel, what happens is the Holy Spirit's not content to just stay in us. He starts going into other people. You know, C.S. Lewis called it a good infection, right? The Holy Spirit comes inside of us and as we're sharing the gospel, he's not content to just live in you. He like hops into some of those people you're talking to and then they come to Christ and then their lives are changed and it spreads. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Look at verse eight. It says, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. He convicts, the Holy Spirit convicts. And this term is a legal term in a court of law to convict. The idea is it's a legal term, which means to indict or to prove by evidence. The Holy Spirit proves to people by evidence their need for Jesus in three areas, sin, righteousness, and judgment. We'll go through those real quick. The Spirit shows us our sin. Look at verse nine. It says that the Holy Spirit convicts the world concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Guys, I think you can remember before you came to Christ, you did not really understand the extent of your sin. You were like, well, I make some bad decisions. You know, I've done some bad things. Um, you know, I haven't been up my best the last 10 years, you know, those kinds of things. But we don't understand the extent of our sin. And a lot of times we have an amazing ability to rationalize our sin and justify our sin, and one of the ways we tend to do it is by looking at others. It's really helpful to a sinner, you know, to look at other people and go, ooh, that guy's worse. You know, that makes me feel better. I mean, this is a major hindrance in marriage, isn't it? These conflicts in marriage, and we're always looking at the other person's sin, justify ourselves. Well, she wouldn't have, you know, if he was more like this, right? We look at their sin, and we, we justify, we rationalize our own. It's why bad reality TV is so popular, Right? It was, the whole thing was the talk shows, the Jerry Springer show or something like that. What's that for? And so you can go like, man, I feel bad about myself. You watch that, man. I feel good about myself now. Like, at least I'm not like these people. Like, that's sin. Like, I'm a saint, you know? We tend to focus on, on the sins of others. I don't know if you guys caught what um, George Bush said at the Dallas Memorial, but the police officer, he had this great line. He said this, he said, too often we judge other groups by their worst examples while judging ourselves by our best intentions. I know, I was, mm. you know, I was like, did you used to do that, George? Like, I didn't know you used to do this. You just had some time off and some thought. Like, that's impressive. Too often we judge other groups by their worst examples while judging ourselves by our best intentions. And that's the way sin wants it, right? Sin tells us like, look at them, look at that sin. Don't look at your own. But the Holy Spirit, when he comes in, reverses that. Suddenly we see the sin in our hearts as big and we see the flaws of others as small. And that's what the Holy Spirit does when he convicts us of our sin. Um, he convicts us of our sin that we're the real problem. You know, I'm the real problem in this marriage. I'm the real problem in this church. I'm the real problem in my workplace. Um, my dad, before he got saved, I remember talking to him and, and we were talking about the gospel and I was talking about his free grace and he said, well, let me get this straight. If some you know, horrible, you know, killer or something like that's on death row and he did all these things and he was a repent right before he was killed, he'd go to heaven. Is that what you're saying? And I'm like, yeah, if he truly repented, he'd go to heaven. And he's like, just, that is not fair. You know, he was bothered by this. It's unjust, right? But then what happened? At some point, the Holy Spirit came in his life and he went, forget about that guy's sin. <laughs> I got problems. I'm the problem here, right? Um, the Holy Spirit, when he convicts us of sin, he also shows us that it's not just our actions, but our hearts that are the problem. I think you guys have all experienced this, where you thought, yeah, I do bad things once in a while, and then you find out later, my heart's bad all the time. And Jesus was amazing at doing this. Remember what he taught about lust and adultery? He said, you've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery, but I say whoever looks upon a woman with lustful intent has committed adultery in his heart. You know, Jesus is like, it's the heart. 
You could be doing everything right externally and have a filthy, sinful heart. Remember what he said about anger and murder. I love it when you share the gospel, you ever gotten this response? I'm a pretty good person. I haven't ever killed anybody. And I'm like, that's cool. That's good. Keep doing that, you know? But that's kind of a low-level righteousness, right? I haven't killed anybody. Jesus said that if, we are, if we're angry in our hearts, it's like murder, right? What about the bitterness in your heart? What about the anger in your heart? What about the judgmentalism in your heart, you know? What about those things? Um, you killing people in your heart. Um, he taught us about words come out of our heart. I think this is super convicting because you hear people say, like, you know, say something, I have said it, be like, oh, I don't know where that came from. I didn't mean it, you know? You know what Jesus said about where it came from? Super convicting. He said, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure in his heart produces evil. And then listen to this. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's convicting, huh? So it, you can imagine it as, you know, like you're a cup filled to the brim with water. That's your heart. And when people bump you, what comes out your mouth, that was in your heart. Convicting. You're like, I don't know if I wanted to hear that. Right? I mean, you can see why the world hated Jesus sometimes. Is He's convicting. You think, I'm a sinner. He, he also showed that we don't just need forgiveness, we need freedom from sin. Sin isn't just something we do. Sin is something that's taken us over. Jesus said in, in John 8, 34, he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And you think, Oh no, I thought I just made mistakes once in a while. Now I find out I'm enslaved to things. Are there particular sins in our life that we do over and over and over again? Jesus is saying that's enslavement. And since Jesus went away, the Spirit does that now. He opens our eyes to our sin. And guys, this is a massive grace. A massive grace. This is a huge act of love. It's a huge act of love. It's a huge uh, act of grace. It's something we need desperately. Just like um, an, an MRI machine is an act of grace. Think about an MRI, you know, scans you and you can find if there's tumors or something that needs to be dealt with. The Holy Spirit's work is like an MRI, right? He scans our hearts and he shows us exactly what's in there. He, he shows us where all the tumors of sin are. Um, have you guys ever been in one of those? Yeah, I had a herniated disc in my back and I had to go in there and then later I like had like a psychosomatic hernia in my neck that wasn't real that I thought I had for a long time. Should have gone in earlier. Spent years thinking I had a herniated disc in my neck. Um, and then after I had it done, I'm like, I feel better, you know? Um, so that was fine. But the back was herniated. And the first time I went in there, I go into this facility. It was really neat. It's down on South 79 and they got like a jungle theme and they like, but the, the videos they were playing were like um, animals attacking other animals, which I thought was not relaxing. Um, so I go in this tube and there's this guy and he's like really small guy. And he's like, okay, so you're going to go in there, and if you freak out, it's okay. Just let me know. I'm like, dude, I'm not going to freak out. He's like, no, no, well, some people freak out. And there's this button, and if you freak out, just push the button. It'll be fine. We'll get you out of there. Just don't freak out. I'm like, dude, I'm not going to freak out. So I go in there, and then it's like all these loud noises, and you're like, this is a sophisticated machine. Why does it sound like it's broken? There's like, you know, and all this clanking. And then, and then I hear his voice in my head, and, and then I'm freaking out. <laughs> And I'm like, hey, this guy, you know, told me not to freak out. Now I'm freaking out, you know? We freak out, guys, when the Holy Spirit starts doing that work in us, don't we? He starts showing us our sin, and we're like, no, 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 no. I don't want to see that. I don't want to know that. You know, I don't want to, you know, you're reading along in your Bible, and then all of a sudden you get to that verse, and you're like, oh, why did I read 1 Corinthians? I knew this was in here. You know, he's convicting us, right? We fight it. But guys, when we see that there's a great physician that can remove that cancer of sin, we welcome the MRI, don't we? 
And that's what Jesus offers. He's a great physician. He offers forgiveness. Anything that's found by the Holy Spirit, he says, I can forgive that. Because of the work on the cross, that doesn't have to stand in between you and I. Um, Tim Keller says about the gospel, I love this. He says, in the gospel, we are more sinful and flawed than we ever dared believe. Isn't that true? And the longer you know the Lord, the longer you've seen more of it, right? And he starts thinking, am I getting worse? It's like, no, the Holy Spirit's revealing more. But in the gospel, we are more sinful and flawed than we ever dared believe. Then listen to this. Yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever dared hope. There's plenty of grace for everything that MRI is going to find, right? And, and the other thing, too, is he's going to free us. He's promised that. He's promised to free us. So the two things that would keep me from wanting my sin exposed would be that I, I don't feel like it can be forgiven or I don't feel like it could be fixed. And in the gospel, Jesus offers both. And so I would just say to you guys this morning that maybe you're a believer and you're a little resistant to getting in the machine right now, you know? Um, not that the Holy Spirit, he's a person, he's not a machine, but he does a work of scanning. Um, you're a little resistant to that. I would say to you, let the Spirit give you this exam and reveal these things to you. I mean, why not? And if you're not a believer this morning, why not let the Holy Spirit show you the sin that's in your life and have it removed? You know, to, when we receive the gospel, we say to God, we say, I agree with your exam and I want no part of anything you found. Please take it from me. And he will. Isn't that amazing? It's just good news. The spirit also shows us, convicts us concerning righteousness. Look at verse 10. It says, Jesus um, said that the spirit convicts non-Christians and it says, concerning righteousness, because I go to the father and you will see me no longer. Guys, the crazy thing about the gospel, the surprising thing about the gospel, is that we don't just need to repent of our sin, we need to repent of our righteousness. A lot of you guys probably maybe came from a, like, a religious background or something like that, and that won't make sense to you. We need to repent of our righteousness. We need to repent of the self-righteousness that's in our hearts. And Jesus was so good at this, you know, um, because we build up these cases, don't we? We build up all the good things we do. We kind of ignore all the bad things. We make a list. And people will say that when you share the gospel with them. They'll be like, but I do this, but I do that. We have this case of righteousness. But then Jesus came on the scene, and you remember what he did? Especially the Pharisees. These are people, very self-righteous people. They've been doing the right things. They've been following the right rules. And what did he do? He comes in, and he shows what real righteousness looks like. They, they looked really impressive before to the people, and then Jesus comes, and their righteousness looks so brittle, doesn't it? So unloving. Um, their religion was like a snowflake. It was perfect and cold, right? It was flawless and cold. And you could see that with the way that they interacted with people, that their righteousness wasn't real righteousness. And he does this to us too. I mean, just think of, people said, what's the greatest command? He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And what's the second one? shall love your neighbor as yourself. Think about that one. Love your neighbor as yourself, okay? This is easy to expose our lack of righteousness. If I was gonna love my neighbor as myself, I would love my neighbor with all the same intensity. I would meet their needs with all the same intensity I meet my own. How you guys do this week? <laughs> you know, we don't have righteousness. It's an illusion. And the Spirit does this work of showing us that we need righteousness. Do you guys realize that you could be wrapped in a righteousness and it's not yours? Like Jesus' perfect righteousness could wrap you. You could be wrapped in that righteousness so that before God, that you could stand before him righteous with a righteousness that's not your own. It's Jesus' perfect life. And what a relief to do that, guys. A lot of you guys have experienced that, right? Where you worked really hard and you tried to build this case of righteousness and, and then one day you realize, like, I don't have any righteousness. I'm just gonna be wrapped in Jesus' righteousness. I'm just gonna be content with that. 
What a blessing to stop proving yourself. Paul found this. Um, Paul, it talks about in Philippians, he says, if anyone thinks he has a reason to have confidence in his own works, I had more. (laughs) He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. And this is converted Paul. He said, no, I kept all those external rules. The heart though, right? And this is, he says, whatever, I, uh, gain, whatever gain I had, I count as loss now for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things. And then listen to what he thinks of his, his previous righteousness. And I count them as rubbish. Rubbish is a delicate translation here, guys. This is either trash or manure or something like it, okay? He counts it as rubbish in order that he might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own. I'm done with that. That comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ is a gift. Paul had all kinds of self-righteousness. He had racial self-righteousness, right? Um, He had religious self-righteousness. He had professional self-righteousness. He had educational self-righteousness. In another passage, we find out he was trained by Gamaliel, who even in like secular literature and Jewish literature, we still know of today. He was at the top-notch education. He had everything. He had all these reasons he could say before God that he is it. And he says, it's trash. It's trash. I just want to be hidden in Jesus' righteousness. Guys, what a blessing to no longer carry the burden of making a case that you're good. If you could just drop that. You know, and say, I want to be found in Jesus with a righteousness not my own. And that's what the Spirit does. What a blessing, huh? Jesus convicted people of their lack of righteousness while he's here. And then when he leaves, the Spirit comes and does it. He does it through the preaching of the gospel. He does it as we share the gospel. Guys, what about you? On the final day, which isn't really the final day, the final day here of this particular thing we're doing, um, because there's going to be many days to come after that. At the end here, When the judgment comes, if you were to be asked, I don't think it works this way, but if you were to be asked, for what reason should you be allowed to enter my kingdom? And for what reason should you um, be able to avoid hell? What's your plea? You know, do you have a list of things? I did this, I did that. I mean, we see Jesus with some people where they said, didn't I cast out demons in your name? Didn't I do all these things? Wrong answer. You know what the right answer is? You point to Jesus and you say, I'm with him. Actually, I'm in him, right? I'm with him. He's the reason. It's nothing inside myself. The Spirit convicts people concerning righteousness. Thirdly, the Spirit convicts people concerning judgment. Take a look at verse 11. Jesus says here that the Holy Spirit convicts the world concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Guys, there's a judgment coming, and nobody wants to talk about it. Have you noticed that? Does this seem odd to you? It seems odd to me. I mean, if it's true that there's a judgment coming, it seems odd that nobody wants to talk about it. Not even Christians want to talk about it. Nobody wants to talk about it. And yet, who talked about it all the time? Jesus. Jesus talked more than anybody about hell and judgment. Why did he do that? A lot of times we think if you went around telling people about hell and judgment that somehow you'd be this kind of hateful, judgmental, angry person. Was Jesus doing it because he was some kind of hateful, angry, judgmental street preacher that just liked yelling at people? Why did Jesus do it? Yeah, he warned him. He was driven not by judgment, but by love, right? 
He was driven by love. I love how he started one of his, in Luke 12, when he talked about hell to a group of people, he said it this way. He said, friends, do not fear those who kill the body and afterwards can do nothing more. But I warn you who to fear, fear him who after he kills has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Did you know that's how he started it? Friends. Like this is love, guys. This is love to warn a person of something like that coming. Jesus is loving. And when you do it, guys, out of a heart of love and concern, you're doing the right thing. It's an act of love. It's what Jesus did. And this is something the Spirit does. Because a lot of people, guys, are very apathetic about Christ. They don't see an urgency. But when the Spirit shows them the judgment that's coming, they see the value of Christ. We gotta know the bad news before we can accept the good news, right? I mean, the good news isn't good unless we know what's, what, what the bad news is. And the bad news is, is that a judgment's coming. He says in verse 11, concerning this judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I love this passage, the ruler of this world. You know, in 2 Corinthians, Paul talked about how the ruler of this world, the God of this age is Satan, that there is a being behind all the evil in the world and all the confusion and the darkness and the lies and the deception and, and even the violence that we're seeing lately and the injustice, there's somebody behind that. And you might think to yourself, come on, Eric, you're a veterinarian, you're an educated person, you don't believe in a devil with little horns and a pitchfork and stuff like that. No, I don't believe in that one, okay? I believe in a fallen angel, Satan, that's behind all these things, okay? Don't know about the pitchfork, don't know about the horns, nothing like that. He's a lot more subtle than that, right? And it makes sense to believe it. Most people in this room, even if you're not a Christian, would agree that there's some sort of higher power, that there's some sort of higher good being in the universe. If that's true, and you look at the nature of the world, doesn't it make sense that there would also be some sort of evil power in this world? And then it has some sort of personality to it and some sort of plotting and some sort of planning and some sort of um, tactics. I mean, you look at the real, I mean, you know, early, you know, early 20th century, maybe 1800s, people are like, well, I don't know if there's real evil in the world. It's more like, there's evil in the world, guys. Who's behind it? There's a person behind it. There's a, an evil being behind it. And it says in this passage that through the death and resurrection of Jesus, he's been defeated and judged. And he's still running around and he's still doing things for a little while, but his kingdom in this world is doomed. Guys, the things that Satan is doing in our day are agonal breaths. You know what agonal breaths are? As somebody's dying, they have these breaths that are very erratic, they're agonal breaths. It shows that death is coming soon. These are Satan's agonal breaths. These are the agonal breaths of an opponent that has been shot and is dying. If you look in Revelation 12, 12, it shows that, Jesus, that, uh, that Satan knows he's been defeated. You realize that? He knows it. It says in uh, Revelation 12, 12, it says that he's come down to the earth in great rage because he knows his time is short. You think like, what's going on here? What motivates him? He knows that he's lost. Guys, he wants to take as many people with him as possible. Satan is kind of that ultimate suicide bomber, right? He, he knows he's doomed, He's headed to hell and he wants to take as many people as possible with him. And the grace that the Spirit does here is he shows us the judgment. He opens our eyes to who Jesus is and shows us clearly the truth of Christ so that we, we flee to him. Isn't this awesome? Isn't this exactly what we need in our lives? Um, it reminds me of a client. Um, I was thinking of a couple of, I was, you know, I was thinking about um, the other day, I was talking to Tosh about it and my wife, and we were talking about um, how many conversions we've seen 
Because sometimes you're like, I don't know if we've seen that many conversions. And then you start to number them off. And you're like, wow, that's amazing. So, okay, my parents, that was big. You know, like on and on and on throughout what we've done college ministry and even here in the last year and people that have come to Christ. And I was thinking about one of my clients. Um, she was super into New Age. Um, she was obviously searching for things, but she was searching in all the wrong places. And she was super lost and confused. And one day, um, we got to talking about Jesus. We're vaccinating our horses. You know, I'm a horse vet, so we're vaccinating horses, and we're talking about Jesus. And I could tell that she, her basic mindset was that there was no more evidence for Jesus than any of these books she got from, like, you know, these New Age bookstores. And as we started talking, it, it became really clear, and I thought, ah, oh, this person's so lost. I don't, they don't even have a fr- She doesn't even have a framework for this. Like, I talk about this, I feel like I have to define every term. I don't know how this is even going to work, you know? And so later on, I gave her a CD that had kind of the um, historical proof for the resurrection. I want to show her, like, there's reasons to believe this. And I gave her a book on the gospel. The craziest thing. A couple weeks later, I get a letter from her. She's like, I'm crying as I write this. I just want to tell you that, like, I put that CD in my car, and I drove to Riverside to work, and I drove back. I listened to it three times in a row. It was shocking. (laughs) She's all, I had no idea this was real. I had no idea that, like, Jesus was real. I had no idea who was really raised from the dead. I had, I had no idea that this stuff was real. And that I was just like, you had your story, I have my story. It's great that that one makes you feel good. But she was just shocked, like, this is real. And then she read the book on the gospel and stuff like that, and she came to Saving Faith. And it, it just blew me away, right? And um, what happened there? The Spirit convicted her concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Straightened out her thinking in ways there's no way we could do that. And then she received the gospel, and, and everything's been changed in her life since. She's, it's pretty crazy. She's super evangelistic because, you know, she was in her mid-40s when she finally had this, like, awakening, you know, this conversion, this understanding of Christ. And so she's hugely evangelistic. So get this. So she gets saved. Her husband gets saved through her sharing the gospel. Her brother, her son-in-law, a bunch of other people. I mean, it's crazy. Around her, there's just this rippling. You talk about infection. <laughs> you know, the, the gospel's spreading through her. And, um, and you know how sometimes when you share the gospel with somebody and they come to Christ, maybe years later, you, there's some things going on in their life, you're kind of worried. You're like, ah, I wonder if she's really saved or what's going on there. So I go and see her at least once a year to like, take care of her horses and stuff. And when I go, I don't wonder if she's saved. I wonder if I'm saved, okay? <laughs> like, it's crazy, you know? I'm like, uh, am I saved, you know? And she'll, like, rebuke me and stuff like that in a really wonderful way. By her example, you know? By her example. It's amazing. She's like, we got to tell everybody about Christ. I had no idea about this, you know? Um, her son-in-law came to faith, and it was fun with him because when he was younger, he used to ride around my truck, and he thought he wanted to be a vet until he was with me, and he was like, no, I don't want to do this. And so, um, but we would talk, I would talk about the gospel with him, but he'd super shut down, you know, the type that would, like, it's like he left, you know? Guards went up. And he thought, you know, Jesus is not in the area of facts. This is opinions. I don't really want to hear your opinions. But it was really cool. The spirit began to break down his defenses concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And then all of a sudden he becomes a Christian. And a couple years ago, he hit me up and he goes, hey, we need to meet up. I become a Christian. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. I didn't see that coming at all. And we're sitting there, we're talking. He's like, Eric, it's like this. He's like, the other day I was late for church and I, I ran back home and I was all frustrated and angry and I was looking for my Bible. And then it dawned on me. I'm late for church. He's like, when did this happen? And then he's like, I have a Bible I can't find. You know, he was just like, it hit him like, what happened to me? 
You know, and a lot of you guys have the same stories where like all of a sudden your eyes were open and Christ, uh, the Holy Spirit has brought you to the knowledge of Christ. I mean, all of you guys have stories to share and I, I look out and I can think of your stories because I saw it happen. How can we be a part of this? How can we be a part of what the Spirit's doing in this world? First thing would be to pray. Pray. You, you pray for people in your life. You pray for them and you say, Spirit, get them. Right? <laughs> like you share the gospel with them, you do what you can and then you say, Holy Spirit, Get them. Because you know the Holy Spirit could go in there and do something we couldn't do in a million years, right? And I also want to share with you three things that we do kind of as a community for evangelism. Because evangelism, scary word, right? Three things. Intentionally build relationships with people. Invite them into gospel community. Talk about Jesus, okay? So we talk about like evangelism together as a community is like a rope. So we're going to pray, and then there's three strands they are build relationships with non-believers, invite them into gospel community, talk about Jesus. And you'll notice that with these three strands, like ideally you do all three, but you could do any two. And as we work as a community together, we're doing them all together, okay? So first one, intentional relationships. Do you know your neighbors? Okay, we're gonna get convicting here. I want you to think of the people on both sides of your house, all directions, do you know their names? Do you know their kids' names? Do you know what they do for a living? When you see them, do you stop and talk to them? You know, at our old house, it was kind of cool because, you know, in Southern California, it's like, you know, there's one, there's one family, the one we can't get. So I know they're coming because their garage door goes up. I don't even see their car yet. Garage door's already going up, okay? And then, you know? Like, if I try and go for that, that probably gets me arrested, okay? So that one's okay. At the old house, we had the mailboxes were in front of our house. So it was like, hey, neighbor, coming for your mail, you know, and you could talk to him. Um, one common thing in this area that's interesting from San Diego is you guys do garage sitting, or at least a lot of people do, where they sit in their garages. So that's kind of cool. It's kind of the front porch, but not as classy, <laughs> right? And so um, form relationships with them, get to know them. Second one would be invite them into gospel community. This is really powerful. You invite them here, you invite them to like small groups, we're gonna have a parenting study soon, you invite them to that. Um, you could start something. So you could say, hey, I got this friend, I think they'd be open to you know, talking about Jesus and stuff, and maybe in a small group. Gab, grab some friends here, say, hey, we're gonna go through you know, this book on the gospel or whatever, do you wanna come? You could set that up. That's already been done in our church, and it was effective. You know, people will come to things. Figure out what they would come to. Invite them into gospel community. It's not all up to you. They need to see the body together and serving the body. Um, and then talk about Jesus. You guys realize, Ed Stetzer put out some stats recently that it was like a third of non-Christians say they've never had a Christian tell them why Jesus is important to them. So that's a problem, right? So <laughs> we should talk about Jesus. And in this final one of talking about Jesus, we have verse 14. Check this out. The Spirit wants to help you do this. Look at verse 14. He, the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit will glorify me, Jesus, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Have you guys ever seen, like, um, you know, with a big building, maybe like in um, that older part of Riverside or something, you see these old buildings, you see these lights that shine up on them? You know, there's these, like, architectural lights that shoot up on them. Or somebody will have, like, a really nice tree or something like that, and they'll have a light shining up on it. What, what Jesus is saying here is that that's what the Holy Spirit does with him. The Holy Spirit is not so much interested in, in glorifying himself. He wants to shine light on Jesus. Isn't that cool? When you look and you see those buildings, you don't see the light so much. The light's kind of tucked down. That's what the Holy Spirit loves to do. 
You know, the Father loves to glorify the Son. The Son loves to glorify the Father. The Holy Spirit has come, and he loves to glorify Jesus. So as you're talking about Jesus, you can be confident that the Holy Spirit will show up. You know, because he's like, oh, good. You know, one of my people is doing exactly what I'm into. That's why we can have confidence here. You know, if we're going to look at who Jesus is, we know that he'll come, and he'll, and he'll bless. Um, guys, if, if the Holy Spirit loves to glorify Jesus... As long as that's our aim, we will never lack his power. If you guys are thinking about how could I see more of the power of the Holy Spirit in my life, how can I see more of the power of the Holy Spirit in people's lives around me, you talk about Jesus. And then what happens? The Holy Spirit shows up and goes, I'll put a light on that, right? He loves to make Christ clear. Um, he loves to make Christ clear so that they'll know him, so they'll savor him. You guys realize we're not born with, with spiritual taste buds for Jesus, we're born with spiritual taste buds for all kinds of idols. The Holy Spirit gives us an ability to savor Christ because we don't want people to just know Christ. We want them to have Christ as their joy. We're after their joy. You can tell them that. I keep telling you now because I get points for this. I want your joy. I want your joy now. I want your joy forever. I, wanna, I want you to have a joy that, that suffering can't take away. I want you to have a joy that death can't take away. I want you to have a joy that you were created to have. Jesus is that unending source of joy. And there's one thing I want to leave you with, which is this. There is no person that the Holy Spirit cannot convict and save. You guys realize that? Because I think in our minds, you know, once somebody's maybe past a certain age, they're like unreachable. Remember the Dukes of Hazard? Remember how, like, when they went into the next county, the police were like, oh, man, you know, like, we can't get them. We tend to think that way. I didn't even have that in my notes. Is that amazing? So um, we tend to think somebody past a certain age, unreachable. Certain level of education, unreachable. Uh, certain upbringing, unreachable. Part of certain, some religious group, unreachable, right? We tend to have this idea. There is no one that the Holy Spirit cannot convict and save. Who have you given up on? This is convicting to me. Who have you given up on? I gave up on my parents, and then God saved them, which was awesome and embarrassing. You know, like it was like, oh yeah, I used to pray for you. That's great, you know? Who have you given up on? Maybe you say, oh, they just don't see their sin. Or maybe you say, oh, they're just so self-righteous. Or, oh, they're just so apathetic about Jesus. You know what Spurgeon said about this? Listen to this. Spurgeon said this. Do not bury a man before he's dead. How many of us have done that? Do not bury a man before he is dead. As long as he is alive, there is still hope that he will live unto God. Don't bury a man before he's dead. Be praying. Let's pray the Holy Spirit would get him. We have a prayer table. We don't have a prayer table. We could pray over in this corner. Oh, it's right back there. Sorry. We have a prayer table back here. You could come back there. We could pray together for these people. Um, and then three strands, intentional relationships, inviting them into gospel community, speaking about Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, I'll speak for myself, I have given up on people. And yet, Lord, in this week of just um, meditating on this passage and being taught by you in this passage, I know that that's wrong. <laughs> Lord, you have sent the Holy Spirit, very God, to come here, to indwell us, to empower us to speak, and then to invade the lives of other people. And we just pray, Lord, that we would move forward with the boldness and the joy and the hope 
and the confidence that we should for that reality. Lord, I, I just pray, Lord, that as we are going out into the world in just a moment, we'll interact with lots of people that don't know you. We just pray you give, them, give us a deep love and appreciation for them, a desire to know them, a desire to share the best news we've ever heard with them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church, Menifee. If you would like to know more about the Menifee campus, visit us online at covgrace.org slash Menifee.